You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network. Okay, welcome to Bob, the podcasters to our new year. Can't believe it. We're starting a whole new year. And we have some questions which I'm going to refer to in a moment, Ray and I. Uh, but we want to welcome you to the show as we start on our new year. 
to um, continue on. We'll be getting some nice responses. So what 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 we're doing so far up up to this point is we're trying to get a f- feel, an understanding of kind of the connection between the mind and the body and the emotions too, and so that there's some kind of discriminating intellect that can make judgments about what's good for one and what's um, what's detrimental to the growth of a person in all areas of his life. The body, which could be quite out of control, has with its appetites and going for what it wants, the habits it's under, and some kind of discriminating intellect that can control the flow of thoughts somewhat and begin to uh, direct the body more. The body could be quite out of control. And and if these uh, two parts aren't somewhat together, then it's difficult to move on to another level of consciousness. So there's a consciousness to this part, a certain greed, a certain appetite, a certain lust for uh, wanting more and more and more. And, and it's a cycle of tremendous habits, reactionary habits, that we call more of a mechanical self, a false self. So we're trying to explore that. And um, the subpersonalities, the different parts of ourselves, different centers of ourselves, and trying to see if we can get closer to an understanding or experience, what would be a discriminating intellect for myself, each of us individual? So that's why when Ray and I sit here, um, um, I work with the body here, a uh, feeling of the sense of the body. Right now, I know for anybody that's listening, could you find a sense of your body? Um, can you feel your feet touching the ground, the floor, and um, have a sense of some self that lives in this body and some kind of coordination that's needed. And that led us to um, to um, meditation. And meditation is really the beginning of stopping all the movement and being able to get in touch with what's inside us, the first, sometimes the first inner journey one would be on. We live in a culture and a world where there's no reason to stay in one spot and go inside yourself. There has to be something to do. It has to be the television. And it has to be, you know, different forms of entertainments and something. Something's always got to be going on. So we, we explored the first kind of meditation or sitting and uh, Ray worked with that for a while and gave us some feedback on what was going on with with that. So, Ray, let's just kind of check in with you on that. Uh, we haven't been together for a while. Is any any anything in that area that's um, any any other experiences you may have at any attempts at um, quieting and settling and sitting? Yeah, the, the whole part of sustaining it is is kind of tough. You know, like the day in, day out, like sticking with it. That's been the hardest part. But then if you commit to it, you'll be okay. So I'm, I just have. So far, so good. Okay. So, Ray... But I don't like it. Right. <laughs> Remember the, the situation of our consciousness and what's going on between our body and mind 
That's usually the first sense of it. We don't like it. There's no reason. It almost feels like there's no reason to do it. And I have to keep myself still and so on. So that's the beginning of what we call the struggle. Yeah. The struggle. In fact, we would have to have struggle between these two different natures, this animal nature and this um, potential higher nature. There would have to be a struggle between them because the, the other part of our nature is not about to give up habits. It's not about to, it's used to its appetites and on it's going. So struggle is an important word, and Ray's speaking about that. The consistency, and, and I don't like it. And to go against that part of me that says, I don't like. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like you, I don't like, you know. Um, and see if we can begin to really experience that part that says, I don't like it. So for you, Ray, as you continue on, if you're continuing on with this, um, you bring that part, the sitting in the morning, yet you begin to really see that part. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. And that's how you know you want, you want to go get your coffee and have a donut, or you want to go do you know you want to get to work, or you always have your your dialogue that's going mm-hmm. on, and then it, it gets nipped in the bud by this, and it, it makes you look at yourself a little differently, and and hence ensues the struggle, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's and it's tiring for me. Mm. You know, it's like fuck, I got to do this. You know, and then I curse your name, but then at the end of it, it's all right. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. I so, don't really curse your name. Uh, I know. So see, kind of what Buddhism, I'm going to begin to put it just in our everyday Western way of thoughts and psychological ways of saying it is that you're not really a human being. These areas are out of control. The potential for us, not so much for the lower animals, but there's a, there's a potential for us to, um, to help unite these different parts of ourselves. And until you could even be called a human being, there has to be some progress in this direction. We cannot do it being out of control. So, that's so a, what are you considered? Let's say you are out of control. What are they, what are you known as then? Just an out of controlled. <laughs> uh, I mean, they call it something. No, like, are you a pig, or I mean, are you a different? You know, do they have a name for it? No, it's just a level of consciousness that is that is uh, doing whatever it wants, not not particularly for any particularly. It's it's, uh, it's basing its life on its appetites and habits only. So you're just like chasing your tail. It's just that like, might be a way to say it. But there's no conscious of it. We think that's the only thing there is. So the first part is to that you really begin need to see um, a possibility of taking in that there could be something different other than the automatic mechanical reactionary chain of reactions that I live on mm. my whole life. And could I ever break into that chain of reactions? That's kind of what we're, uh, kind of what we're saying. So, mindfulness, which is bringing, a, we've been talked about that on our last show. Again, it's kind of a kind of a Buddhist, but it's in different traditions as well. Um, but see, Buddha, what Buddha did, there were like many people in his time, way back, that were different kinds of spiritualities, were being there were different kinds of teachers and gurus, and he decided that. 
he was, and he gave up, his family was wealthy, and uh, that he gave all that up, and he was going to find out for himself. And he's when he went and sat under the tree, and kind of where, almost where the word meditation begins, he was going to begin to sit and face all this material he had inside him. He was going to do it almost through his own willpower. So it was quite a position to, to do what he did. And he sat and he sat and he sat and he went further and reached deeper things inside himself till he saw the possibility that there's a, another consciousness. And that's what he's left to us and that's what we're going to try to talk about here. And we're going to move on to the other traditions too. Um, we covered a lot of early development psychologically so we kind of won't stay with that. We'll refer to it, but we won't make that the important, the important things. So also what he discovered in the beginning of all this sitting, there were really some preliminary things. And one thing, and all this running around we're doing, he said, remember the reality of death. Suddenly, without any call, without anything, you, you can die. For any of your accidents, even if you're young, the importance of death, that this is impermanent, this is going to be for a little while, and you are, you're going to suffer death. And, and getting old, I know as an old man, now this will be my 80th year, that the body's going to wear out, and all kinds of pains, and all kinds of things that are going to occur in the body as the body, the mind wears out. I know in myself that I, I really can't think as well anymore, and I can't remember things, and um, that's all going to happen. It's going to be a deterioration. But also, while that's even going on, there's a work about moving to, using all of that, transforming that into a higher consciousness. Do so, you do you think ahead. do you think about your mortality a lot? Yeah, I'm, I don't think about it a lot, but I'm particularly where I am now. According to my family tree, nobody went beyond eighty-four. No way, yeah. My last, my brother died. My oldest brother died. He was, I think, it was eighty-five. Um, that almost seems to be a line in the sand for, uh, for this um, group of people. Um, so I figure I'll be somewhere in that, you know, around that period. And they all die of strokes. Such an area that I am watchful of. But I kind of know I'm kind of going down the final road, and um, that um, whatever these years that I have left. I'm going to really attempt to um, work and, um, and and try to uh, reach a level of consciousness. Um, what am I going to do? Well, hopefully the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, you're much younger, and the, 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 part, the idea of death seems to be maybe people living on. You know, when you're young, it's no, there's no connection with that. But impermanency would be one of his important words. I mean... Translated in English, that whatever this is, it's just it's going to fade away. It's not even going to be in memory someday. And that um, the thing that we're considered so important—that's you know—we we think could there any, could there be anybody more important than me? <laughs> that's a that's a big one in our life. You know, we know our own importance or something. It's, um, like, it's like one day you're you're sweating the prom dress and then um, you're dead. And yeah. I know in my, you know, in my father, um, he, he, he I, well, I think I said people know, but, you know, he went out one night and, in fact, Ray's father also um, 
kind of had a sudden death. His great father threw um, a heart attack, and my father threw doing a one-nighter. Um, he was a musician, and uh, his um, his bus turned over, and he was uh, killed on the road, um, and it just never came back. So it's something that not, it's not to do with fear, but it's the realization that whatever time I have, it's going to be limit, no matter how young you are. And can I use that time for something more than just I like, I don't like, and all my particular habits? That's that's the idea of it. So that's one thing that he he brought. And another thing um, he brought was the importance of compassion. Now, what he reached in his deep states of um, meditation was the importance of reaching out to others, that we had to begin to move away from me, 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 mine, and me, and more me, and more, and I need more, you know, keep doing, wanting more and more and more, that we had to begin to reverse that to what's called in the Gurdjieff work, external considering, well, you're going, to, you're going to consider the person in front of you and really take, take in what they're going through um, and um, begin to reach out to them and uh, invite them into your space. We all have some something called our space, our place, um, and uh, for others to come to us, there's a kind of invitation we give them to come into our space. And whatever our space is, the vibration, it has a vibration, it has a psychic vibration, and people feel either comfortable in it or tense in it or anxious in it, sometimes fearful in it. So we're also going to study that further. Uh my space and my attitudes that are there. And whether it's welcoming people in or when they come in, they're going to f fall through the floorboards because my space has um, has a lot of little catchy things in it. Um, going to trip over the beer bottles. Not safe, not lit well. Feel Doesn't feel right. You know, do you ever come into a person's space where maybe you haven't even spoken to them yet? And yet you can feel the psychic vibration that is feels threatening and you can't wait till you get out of there. So therefore you're not comfortable in it. I don't know, Ray, if you have your experience about being with certain people and Oh yeah, you can feel them from a mile away. I mean if it's safe or not. Or you can suss it I think it's even beyond words, you can suss it up with just a look. Sometimes, you know, you can feel if somebody's present or not, or they could be dangerous or, you know, there's a, it runs the gamut, Yeah. you know, or inviting in a certain way, but you know, on the other hand, it, it might be limited or, you know, and then you see that in yourself too and how you behave with certain people or just in general, you know, if you are inviting or if you are open to you know, letting somebody truly get, you know, closer to you. Yeah, that's that's said well. When they come into our space, could they begin to be real with themselves? 
if they feel that they have to resist, defend, then there'll never be a real feeling of safety for them or comfortable. So they will act defensive. And this is something that couples go through all the time. People marry, people together. This is constant defense and not feeling that I could let down when, when you're in my space or I'm in your space. I, could be, I can feel real and come from a more real place. So we can see that in our life with our supervisors or bosses or wives. Or, or you go to stuff that's habitual for you, you know, that you, you're not conscious of, but it's old hat and you go through the rigors of it and you're not even conscious that you, you've done that. You know, to hold at bay or to defend yourself. You know, and usually from, you know, shit you went through when you were a kid. Like me with my three brothers or, you know, my mom screaming and my dad, whatever. And it's like you mimic that. You replicate it. And you're not even conscious that you're replicating it in your relationship or in, you know, the outside world or wherever you might be. Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not even aware of it. And then when you gleam onto it, you go like, fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a that struggle ensues then, and you see that, you know, wow, you are your father, son, or whatever, whatever the, you know, phrase of the day might be. You yeah. know, and then, yeah, and you see it, and it's it's a it's like a wake up call. Mm-hmm. But it's it's tough to stick with that kind of shit. You know, it's really tough to to really be in that because you know it takes a certain vulnerability then on your part too. You know, and it's much easier to call everybody else nuts. Yeah, right. Like, you're fucking, you know, how many times have you heard, like, you know, listen, they're crazy. That, that you know, that runs the day, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we're thinking about our space. Now, in our development, as Ray said, with the brothers and so on, well, that's like the earlier developmental period. If that was more natural, then our space would be more comfortable. In other words... We relax in our own plot, our own ground, our own foundation. And there wouldn't be a need for a heavy defense. So that when we invite somebody into this space, it's not warfare. It's not, uh, um, I'm gaining this and you're not going to gain that and all of that. Yeah, like constantly vying for position. Yeah. Or being right. Being right's a big one. That's a big one. Being right. So I, I let you into my space so I can prove how right I am. It's real fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our podcasters and those, we're, we're thoughtful of that. That's kind of an interesting way to see it. What, how does people feel in my space? And do I invite them in? And do they see, com- seem to be comfortable? And more real because my space speaks of uh, uh, one can be themselves more. One could relax more and be themselves. And you're also sometimes attracted to like dangerous spaces, you know, Mm. like, you know, somebody's bad or, you know, something's a little off or, you know, you know, there's a kilo of cocaine in the um, bedroom, you know, but you're intrigued or whatever you might be for it. You know, and, and then you you pursue it, and, and you're unconscious of in your pursuit of it, and you just go there, or you wind mm-hmm. up there. That's why you're there at 3 a.m. or God knows what you fucking did, or that's why you got the DUI. 
You know, that's why you were driving around with the whiskey bottle with a sock stuck in the cap. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, it just it takes you down such extreme roads and you're not, you know, you have no idea. You're, it's it, it was already scripted. It was already written at a level, mm -hmm. but you weren't on to your own shit. So now you got to, you know, now you're wallowing in it. Mm. So Ray points out, like, there's environments that are very enticing, some environments where it looks real good at the front door and there's all the little gimmicks there, have us come in. But it's merely to just, it's like intriguing or drawn to it. There's, like, leaders that, you know, that uh, took over countries and millions of people died and, they were so kind of intrigued with that personality or that power they thought I had. You know, I think of Hitler in my early days when I was a kid. And, and sometimes at the end of those, the karmetic end of those journeys, let's just take an extreme place like Hitler or Stalin or Kamar Rouge or those different kinds of governmental um, people with certain people in them. But by the end, let's take Hitler's case, there was just millions of people suffered dreadfully and died millions of people so sometimes it's that big and sometimes it's just small just making our the people around us a little more miserable and making our family being hard on our family um, something like that different levels of it but there's also intriguing enticing i want to see what's inside that and this is a lot of, that happens at the beginning of love affairs with couples where they get enticed by a certain thing in a person. But later on, it could be the absolute opposite. I can't tell you all the times I've heard in my office where people explain that I just wanted to know him. There was something so different about him. And I had to just, you know, I felt a little, something didn't feel totally right, but I was so intrigued with getting to know him more and so on. And then years later to say how they were taken in by it and that they really don't like the person anymore. And, you know. <laughs> what are you describing? Every relationship or just some? No, no, not some. It's a matter of degree. But there's certain traps set. There's certain foundations that are very... We want to find out about it. We want to kind of sneak into that garden and see, hey, what's in there? What's it really made out of? And we begin to make it more enticing. And, but it's not the real, it's not really the person. I mean, it's not. Because some people are, some people knew very early and will say to me um, in the office, like, um, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know exactly what it was, what it was. But I knew something, so some, this guy's not exactly the way he's painting himself. Now, they say it all different ways, but that's it. Some suspicion early that there's something really wrong and that I might be getting into trouble with this one, but I can't stop myself. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's one I think we all know. I think we all went through that in some way. That, that's, that's, that's quite something. Now, um, I want to, as we continue with our understanding of um, Buddhism, and Buddhism got into um, to Tibet, and the Tibetans have kind of a different slant on it. I don't, I don't, no, that's not the right way. They've added their own. 
Get it? You said slant and Buddhist was Asian. You made an eye. You made a joke. Well, no, I don't think he had slanty eyes. But I don't. I don't. Really well, what know. are you talking about? You look at all the 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 um, oh, what are, the figurines and everything. All the depict- depictions of him. He's a big fat guy with um. He's Asian looking, right? Yeah, you know, maybe I don't know. I, I, I have, actually, right now I can't picture the Buddhist statues around them. But maybe you're right. Maybe he did. Buddha is Indian. Right. That's that's right. Well, there's Asian Indians, right? Indian just means indigenous. India is in Asia, so I guess Indians are Asians, but they don't really have slant eyes. Racist. I thought Jim was being racist. I was just pointing it out. (laughs) So what were you saying about Um, Tibetans? Different slant? Yeah. uh, And what I thought about is not so different, but whatever the cultures, as Buddhism moved into different cultures... Um, the course of cultures also were uh, taken, uh, influenced the way people would begin to practice. And one was, um, uh, I can pronounce the word, I always have trouble with the word, but Tonglen, T-O-N-G-L-E-N, would be, kind of be the English word for it. It's a wholeheartedness, again, through meditation and disciplines, and um, but eventually develop something I think the Tibetans might call a noble heart, the way it's said in English, a noble heart, a heart that's um, open, not hard-hearted, and, but wholeheartedly um, can go towards people in a wholehearted way, in a more trustful way, um, wholeheartedly take them in, and almost like on the in-breath, or wholeheartedly taken in, not not the way we know a lot, taking people in to see um, what they have to offer or what we can get out of it. But breathing in, breathing them, giving them a chance, giving them a chance to speak and the patience and the out-breath of, uh, of um, take whatever you took in of them, a wholeheartedness could even begin to change something. The heart like is like kind of a possibility of a washing machine. As it takes in vibrations, clothes from the outside world, it goes into the washing machine or a heart that's being more open and more loving and it transforms some of the, even some of the impurities or difficulties of what it took in. It could now help transform just by its being. A noble heart, even taking in fear and taking in distrust, doesn't particularly become distrustful, but kind of helps the purification of it so that the situation could be better between uh, the people having going through, uh, having a response to them. It's not making them better or some kind of improvement of them, it comes natural that the way my heart takes it in, uh, takes it in in a way of of transforming it. Um, so that, you know, it's an, it's an interesting one to think, it's a kind of an interesting idea that we have the possibility in our own cleansing of ourselves, of our own impurities, 
that when we're in the world, we can take in what the world uh, brings to us and help to purify that. Not in an egotistic way, but in the response, even if there's no response, um, just uh, being able to take it in. This was the Tibetans? Uh, Tibetans, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the, the Buddhists had this also. But the Tibetans became very thoughtful of that. Um, you know, that, I went and saw the Dalai Lama speak up at um, Universal. He's quite funny. Yeah. He, I mean, he had an interpreter, but he would speak English and um, what's the language they speak? Anyway, he would he had an interpreter also, but he spoke perfect English. And at the end, he goes, he was, you know, summing, summing everything up. And he goes, um, listen, you know, you can become enlightened or not. And that's all he left with. He just said, you know, you can do this. It's a possibility, you know, and it's there for you or don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super yeah. matter of fact. Yeah, but there's a lightheartedness in those monks. And, and, and Dalai Lama is one that you're seeing. And it's a humorous, it's a lighthearted, it's not heavy. Uh, the Tibetans part of it is doesn't feel, it doesn't feel heavy. Um, it takes whatever is in front of it, and just in that line that you heard him say, you could, what we could say here, if this makes any sense to you, that's fine. If it doesn't, you know, it's just of any, any help. But if it is, then you can begin to pursue it. Now, it's another thing I want to say as we, how are we doing here? You know, we have a little time. Um, what's going on here is not that I, I want you to begin to understand that it's not, you know, I'm not a guru and it's not coming from, from that position at all. It's more putting things out, um, things that as an 80-year-old man, I've uh, kind of been pursuing and some things that have worked for me, and, and just putting that out. And I'm very like a Dalai Lama. I'm glad Ray said that line. And if it's helpful to you, fine. And if it's not, it's not. And you probably just won't tune in anymore. Um, but if it is, it's not from the show that you're going to, what we're doing here, it's not, um, uh, then it's up to you. If it makes any sense to you, then the pursuing in the out world has to come from the outside world. We're not going to do anything here that's going to change, and because the changes we're talking about are work decades of work, slow progress, moving from one level of consciousness, being able to discipline, being able to have a discriminating intellect and some mind control of the body. All, all of that is tremendous amount of work. But a lot of schools and traditions um, teach that and use um, use um, um, what do I? That's where I, I that's where I begin the meditation. I'll lose words, uh, and that's a way of doing it. And others do it more in, in a different way, more contemplative, and use prayer and. Um, Different, there's different ways to do it. Others use it, the bhakti yoga uses it more with love and slogans of love and moving towards love or the physical um, yoga. Um, you know, all, there's all different kinds of things, but all of them are working towards some purification, some way that we get some body-mind control 
and a discipline. So as Ray was saying earlier, but to be consistent is so difficult. Yeah, he's right. That's what I found all the years, to be consistent. Uh, from one day, not according to the mood you're in, but to, that something has to be done daily. Because remember, um, the impermanence of our life. So no quick fixes, right? No, no quick fixes. So this show is not due. F- you know, I've told people fixes. that I've told people <laughs> that um, you know I've been seeing you for what seventeen years, and usually I'd say ninety percent of the response is like, "What are you kidding? You're not done." You know, like <laughs> yeah. It's, what do you mean seventeen years? Like that the weren't supposed to be done in seven months or something like that. Or then, they, then they'll always ask, you know. So what? What's what goes on there? You know, and you can't really describe it, or they're not going to get it. But you know, seventeen years now. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a long time. But the work we're talking about is lifetime. I mean, I know that the last therapist I was with also uh, died rather suddenly. And funny, I think it was seventeen years. Funny, it's the same figure. Oh, don't don't even don't don't start that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I still would have been with him today. I don't know. Anyway, um, now the incidentally, also part of this chain of things we're talking about is psychotherapy. For some people, psychotherapy is the start. It's the beginning of doing a search and a dig for what the unconscious is about and what's underlying things that are motivating that we have no consciousness about and yet rule us totally. So for folks that are thinking that, you know, there are problems that I have that I need some help with. And psychotherapy could be an important beginning help before you'd even go to any tradition or... It's uh, also a good Ramon song. A good what? Ramon song. What's a Ramon? The, The Ramones have a song called Psychotherapy. I was making a joke. Oh, making a joke. Okay, I didn't get it. Ramon songs. Okay. Um, hey, Jim. Yeah. We have some questions, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad Ray Ray mentioned about questions. Oh, oh, let's see. What did I do with my question? Here, take this one. All right. So what's that? Irina? E-R-I-N-A? Jim, thanks very much for the work you're doing. The podcast is great, and it helps me a lot. I do have a question for you. I'm curious if you read Adam's book and what your what your thoughts about it. You know, I didn't read the whole book. I went into ex- excerpts in different parts. I was touched by different things. And i tell you what's with me now is that there was a time in the book where he got into a fight uh, and uh, with a group that I, and he got, I think, beat up in the fight. Uh, there were more than there were like a group. When the guy hit him with a bat? Is that, that the one? Yeah, I'm not sure if the one, I'm not sure if that's that one. Um, so maybe there's other excerpts about that too. I'm not, I'm not sure in the book. Um, but the one with the bat? Some, yeah, he had, he had just had knee surgery. That's, that's when, um, I guess he was about 20 or something like that. Go ahead. What were you saying okay. about it? Uh, anyway, it was very, the reading of that was very sad and touching to me. Um, and, at the, and I don't know what was going on with him at the time in the family. See, if he's 20, he's on his own probably by then. But 
Yeah, he was living on Laurel. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that apartment with yeah. the other guy, with yeah. Donnie and... Chris. Yeah, that group. And I was very, I was very touched to hear that he, he went through that suffering. I was very sorry about that. So that that's that's one I can start off with that. Um, anyway, let's just get see if we can get another great podcast, guys. I really enjoy all the meditation, consciousness, Buddhism talks. I have a question for Jim: Would meditating outdoors in a quiet area be as effective, if not more, than doing indoors? No. Um, any place in your house is fine. Um, you know, because we can't always go. It, it's the state that you work in. Maybe that could help. Wouldn't, wouldn't be as distracted in a peaceful place. That's possible. But since it's, an, it's something that's every day, it's probably going to be affected to a place that <clears throat> is a room in your house. And occasionally, well, maybe you can do it out in your garden. So that's not the main thing. Uh, quiet area. You know, like it's according to the person. If that's what they need, then they have to find out what they need. Maybe but, he's looking know. for like an external place for you know that that propagates peace, and you know what he's. I think that's what he's going for there. Okay. You know, but it's more what you're saying is it's more of a state you're in and an internal work. So, you know, get in the fucking closet and do it. Yeah, it's um, yeah. It, this becomes very different for different people. If you have a good environment, maybe just in your backyard or something, yeah, that's fine. But it, it needs to be, it has to be done in, in this journey, in the Buddhist journey in particular, or you're not going to be getting, if you can't meditate in the, in the Buddhist world, as I understand it, you're really not even started the journey no matter what you do. You've got to somehow face meditation, my interpretation of Buddhism. Okay, AJ, do you think it's true that addiction, although genetically driven and predisposed, can be avoided through positive influences such as a sport, profession, other sorts of groups, or communal pos positive influence early in life? Yeah, that, that's a hard one, you know, because there are so many variations of that and what people go through. Something called a true addiction. Uh, if something's is genetically driven, that's a powerful foundation going on inside the biochemistry of the body. Um, it's going to act as a tremendous um, motivating force in the person. Now, can influence help? Yeah, it, it can. People get help in different ways, so drug counseling and psychotherapies, and sometimes uh, falling in love. Or It's all different, sometimes finding a religion or school. Um, so all kinds of possibilities with that one, yes, but the influence, important influence, and particularly early, um, is, is, is important. You know, how do you, how do you explain, you know, the, the drug addicted baby, you know, that, um, let's say been adopted by teetotalers and then, you know, sure enough, like clockwork come 18, you know, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing. And it's not good, you know, but raised in an environment where there was nothing. Yeah. That's a tough one. Uh, yeah. And uh, even if they had a good family, but, you know, that usually um, connects in there somewhere. It might have been worse without a good family. 
and a good family could help to take care of it then, or they, he can fall back or she fall back in the hands of, a, of loving people and help them even to get the help that they need at that time. But those babies that are born with, those, with addictive mothers, um, you know, they're, 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 it's quite difficult, and particularly in their early times before they're even able to uh, have behaviors that are um, in the world, um, you know, go through a lot of suffering and, and illnesses, too, because the, the drugs have really affected their natural developmental health. Um, okay, so I see it's, we've had our time is just about up. Jim, who's going to win between Oregon and Auburn? And who? Auburn and Auburn. Auburn and Auburn. Yeah, I don't know. Oregon. <laughs> Oregon and I always, they, to me, they have such a, always had such good football. In that. Are you saying Oregon because of Lynn? Or do you like Oregon? Do you like Oregon in the game? I'm saying what I have followed so far with Oregon, they're just, I don't know much about Auburn at all, but I know Oregon is quite a talented team. I'm um, for Oregon, too. You, you like for Oregon? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so as we begin to leave today, we want to say thank you for coming in, and we're going to continue on our path to try a little more about uh, Buddhism. And uh, Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year. Yeah, and um, and uh, continue to um, bring different elements and qualities of of uh, mindfulness and uh, add to the meditation and for yourself if you're for those that want to try it, see how it feels for you just to quiet yourself. So anyway, we'll end this first. We'll Jim, do your thing though. Come on, a little bit of it, and then then say it. So Ray likes me to do a buzz. It's something I do in practicing my trumpet. Sound like I'm, in other words, I do scales with um, just my buzzing. Then I put the mouthpiece on. They're much easier to do. Then when I play the trumpet, then it's much easier now because I've, I've got my embouchure so that I can begin to play scales with my um, buzzing. Okay, Mike likes to hear that, so we'll give him that. So, thank you for tuning in. Keep the questions coming, and we'll see you next week. Bye.